Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning, Crosspoint, to those who are online. Uh, hello to you and to all the eyes I see here. Hello to you too. Um, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm a youth pastor at Beulah Lives Church, friend of Crosspoint, uh, and I'm thankful to be here this morning as we talk about the subject of prayer. Uh, we're sitting in a week that is between two series, and I believe you've just finished uh, a series on the five marks of a disciple. Is that right? What were they? <laughs> look at you all. You're like, oh no, don't look at me, don't look at me. Um, let me tell you, there are pursuits, mission, community, service, and growth. And next week, you're starting a series on identity, looking at topics like self-identity, human freedom, narcissism, uh, self-idolatry, critical theory, postmodernism. There's like a whole bunch of stuff here. It's going to be intense and awesome, and I kind of want to be here too. So uh, today, though, we're, we're, we're sandwiching in the middle of these two series, and, 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 and Rob said, hey, what's on your heart? What's, what's God doing in your life right now? What are you encouraged by? And, and we've been looking uh, in our youth ministry at the topic of prayer. Uh, quite deep for the last few weeks. Uh, and I said, I think this is a really good topic in between uh, looking at identity and, um, and discipleship. Uh, and so this morning, uh, I'm excited and encouraged to be able to talk about what it means to pray. Some of us love to pray uh, and uh, are great prayers. I grew up in, in a church where we had prayer warriors. You know what I'm talking about when I say prayer warriors? Yeah, usually they're older yeah, I've, uh, usually they're not my age, but they have a title of the prayer warrior, and they like they are hardcore prayers. Like these people turn up to church like 17 hours before church starts, and they're on their knees praying. They're like, "Let's do this." Um, and then we have some people who maybe have never prayed in their lives before, and then we have some people who maybe in between saying, "I, I want to pray. I'm interested in prayer. I, I like to pray, but I just I just don't really know exactly what to do." I'm confused. Um, today, I'm not going to simply just tell you that you should pray because I know that people want to pray. Did you know that in March, uh, as soon as kind of the, the pandemic hit North America, Google released its searches um, and said that the word prayer was searched for at its highest capacity ever in Google's history. See, people are asking the question of how do I pray? What is prayer about? Is, is it, will my prayers be answered? Is there, is there hope in this? And so today we're going to be talking about this. We're going to talk about prayer, talking about our prayer lives. And I want to frame it in, in, the, in the way that A.W. Tozer, who is a former Christian Missionary Alliance pastor, scholar, preacher, um, and he said this. He describes prayer in this way. Constantly practice the habit of inwardly gazing upon God. You know that something inside your heart sees God, even when you're compelled to withdraw your conscious attention to, in order to engage in earthly affairs. There is within you a secret communion always going on. Uh, so this is my agenda this morning. I'm going to lay it right out on the table right now. This is my agenda this morning, is that some of us will learn, some of us will relearn, and some of us will continue to enjoy the habit of inwardly gazing upon God this morning. And I can give you 101 reasons why I think it's important to pray and why it's important to do this, but only you will ever discover when you do it yourself. Uh, and so, we're going to begin. So let's just begin by praying this morning. I think that's a good place to start as we talk about prayer. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you this morning for a new day. We thank you 
um, that your, your mercies are new every morning. We thank you that we get to uh, gather here and online. God, I thank you for all those who are engaging this morning. God, would you meet us where we are at? Would we know your presence is close? Would we know that you love us and that you are for us? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you know that the greatest person ever to live was a man of prayer? Before launching into his public ministry, Jesus fasted for more than a month and prayed in the wilderness. Before choosing his 12 disciples, he prayed all night. When he heard the devastating news that his cousin John had been executed, Jesus prayed. He withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place and he prayed. After feeding 5,000 people, which was quite an undertaking, by the way, do you know what he did? He climbed a mountain and then he prayed. He didn't just pray. Like, I would have probably collapsed and prayed. He climbed a mountain and he prayed. And when the pressures of fame threatened to crush him, Jesus prayed. When he was in the face of his own death in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed. And when he experienced the gruesome death on the cross, he cried out to the one who had apparently forsaken him. Jesus prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And there was something interesting with Jesus that when he prayed, location seemed to be of importance. He, he prayed on a boat. He prayed up the mountain. He prayed in gardens. And in Matthew 6, where we're going to unpack this morning, uh, we're going to be focusing um, on, the, on the prayer. And it's when Jesus' disciples, they come to him and they say to him, hey, Jesus, you're really good at this. Like, you, you can pray really well. Like, you've you got some skills at praying. Um, how do we do it? Like, how, do, how, how can we pray like that? Uh, and this morning, we're going to be looking at this. And, and what's really interesting is before we get to the Lord's Prayer, before we get to the model of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this. He says, when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Something about the location matters to Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, we see the moment where Jesus' followers, they're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They're all together in a room with the door closed and honestly probably quite afraid of what's to come, what life will look like with Jesus having gone. And suddenly the Holy Spirit first filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then the disciples saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And then moments later, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in languages, um, multiple different languages. And isn't that an interesting progression? The Holy Spirit filled the place, and then he filled the people. See, one of the amazing things about Christianity is we have this rich history in which we can look back on. Uh, and I'm from Scotland, so that's my, 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 my cultural history. But the, the history of, of Christianity is we look back to ancient Celtic Christians. They understood that the Holy Spirit filled places as well as people. And they declared, they declared such sites as thin places. So your thin place for you may be a chair in your house, the walk to school, the end of your bed, the swing in the backyard, or even the sanctuary of the bathroom. <laughs> uh, spiritual teacher Richard Foster, he urges us, find a place of focus, a loft, a garden, a spare room, an attic, even a designated chair, somewhere away from the routine of life, out of the path of distractions. Just like the Israelites had a tent of meeting where they would meet intimately with God, allow yourself a place that becomes your tent of meeting. So before we dive into Matthew 6 this morning, have in mind that location plays a significant role in our prayers. There is a reason why before Jesus lays out the template of the Lord's Prayer, he says, close the door and be alone with the Father. 
And you may already have a place where you, where you pray every day, a, a place where you have your devotions, your time with the Father. And for some of you, you may be thinking, I need to maybe have a place, a place where I will, will set aside without distraction and be with God. And do you know what I found to be really helpful in having a place where I regularly go and meet with God? Even on the days that I don't want to pray, <laughs> on the days where I feel frustrated, the days where I don't want to even talk to God, a place of prayer can often make it easier. Because by merely just showing up, you're making a declaration of intent. You're saying, in, in effect, Lord, I don't want to be here, but I'm here. <laughs> um, Pete Gregg, founder of 24-7 Prayer, he said this, 99% of prayer is often just showing up, making the effort to become consciously present to the God who is constantly present to us. Let me say that again. 99% of prayer is often just showing up making the effort to become consciously present to the God who is constantly present to us. So before we begin to unpack the Lord's Prayer this morning, do you have a thin place? Do you have a place where you meet with God, where you show up? When, uh, when Jesus prayed, things happened. It was quite remarkable, actually. When he prayed, things really happened. People were fed, people were healed, and people had demons cast out of them. People were raised back to de uh, from death to life, and some more. It, it, was, it was quite remarkable in the way in which Jesus prayed and the authority in which he had. So when his disciples say to him, we want to do that too, <laughs> he's like, let me help you and let me lay this out. And we're going to look at that this morning. So we're going to be reading Matthew 6, verse 5 to 13. It'll come up on the screen. You can also have your Bibles with you. Um, I would encourage you to open to that. And we're going to read this this morning, Matthew 6, 5 to 13. Jesus says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this morning, we're going to unpack this prayer using a little four-letter acronym um, to help us as we, as we journey in our prayer journeys together. Now, this is an ingenious acronym, and you're going to be like, wow, my mind is blown. How did you ever think of that? Well, I didn't. I took it from somebody else. Um, but you're going to be like, this is crazy. And so as we learn to pray this morning, we're going to use this acronym that's going to come up on the screen right now. Pray. Okay, so, yes, indeed, Pray. <laughs> Um, and so we're going to begin with the uh, letter P. What do we think P stands for? I need some audience participation this morning. What does P stand for? Ha <laughs> I pray. No, it's not. I lured you in with that one. Praise? No. It is pause. The first thing to remember when praying is to pause. It's been spending time in a place away from distraction and listening. We begin prayer by listening, not by speaking. This is why Jesus, before he even lays it out, says, go to the room alone. Be with the Father alone. Um, listening for many of us can be a challenge. Definitely for me, I find it challenging. Um, one study showed in a typical day of waking hours, we spend about 9% writing, which 
I don't know who does that. Um, 16% reading, 30% speaking, and 45% listening. So you may think, I do enough listening as it is already. But do you listen or do you listen? You know what I mean? The first listening is the one that says we hear, we think, we process, we're really listening. The second listening is the type of listening you do when you look at somebody, but you're not actually listening to them. You know what I'm talking about. I could be talking right now and your brain is somewhere else. That's the type of listening that like puts distracting things in our head. Like we just start thinking weird things like why is the word abbreviate so long? Or why is 11 not pronounced 21? Or, or why do we sing take me out to the ball game when we're already there? You know what I mean? And your brain starts to go in all those places and you don't actually listen. Well, when we talk about listening to God, we're talking about the first one. We're talking about paying attention to God, hearing, thinking, processing. A theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, says this. A child learns to speak through listening to their father speaking. See, we are God's children, but how many of us actually take the time to listen to God in order to understand what he is saying? This is why Jesus prefaces this entire prayer by saying, go into the room, shut the door, don't be distracted, pause, wait, learn to speak by taking time to listen to the Father speak. So pause. Okay, what's R? What do you think R is? Yes. Reflect, no, close, but not. Nope, respond, nope. It is rejoice. Jesus begins his prayer with the words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I don't know if you've ever seen the Northern Lights. Who's seen the Northern Lights? Um, I come from Scotland. We don't often see them there. So people like pay lots of money to go to Iceland and see it. But then when I came here at 17 years old, um, I came to do a camp and we were in um, rural Alberta and we, the Northern Lights happened. And it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed in my entire life. My friends were paying thousands of dollars to go and experience it in Iceland. And I was like, I got it for free. Um, it was really, really cool. But no one in their right mind stares up into the night sky, looking at the northern lights, and thinks, wow, I'm incredible. You know what I mean? Like, no one actually does that because we have been hardwired to wonder and therefore to worship. The Lord's Prayer begins with an invitation to adoration, an invitation to rejoice. Our Father, Jesus is saying, God is not distant to you. He is your father. He wants to be close. He is personal. He is near. You are his child. And then he says the phrase, hallowed be your name, which also means holy is your name. It's saying, God, your name is set apart from every other name. In your name, there is power. In your name, there is perfection. In your name, I can pray. So God, I rejoice in your holiness and in your blessings and goodness for everything that you've already done in my life. Jesus says the first and the foremost thing that we commune with is a God who is holy. And, and holiness can sometimes feel frightening. I love the honesty of R.C. Sproul in his book, The Holiness of God. He says this, we tend to have mixed feelings about the holy. There is a sense in which we are at the same time attracted to it and repulsed by it. Something draws us towards it while at the same time we want to run away from it. We can't seem to decide which way we want it. Part of us yearns for the holy while part of us despises it. We can't live with it, and we can't live without it. See, holiness exposes. And when Jesus says that you and I should pray, hallowed be your name, in reality, we're saying to God, you have the permission to expose. You have the permission to have the authority in the room. And we're recognizing that God is God, and we are not. But... He is not removed from us. He is our Father. 
And so these opening couple of lines, Jesus is saying, you have been designed to worship. So when you pray, when you begin to speak, the first thing you should do is rejoice in God for everything that he has done and continues to do. Acknowledging his holiness, giving him the authority he deserves. So we pause and then we rejoice. And then what? What's A? No. What's A? What do we think A is? Ask. Yes, good. We got one in three. Let's go. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. See, prayer can mean many things for many people. But at its simplest and its most immediate, it means asking God for help. The Lord's Prayer invites us to ask God for everything from our daily bread, so our own personal needs, to his kingdom come, his desires. And because we know that God holds all things together, he is the only person we can pray to and ask such requests. And part of asking, part of asking in prayer also involves the conversation of unanswered prayer. Who's, who's ever prayed for something and it, and it didn't seem to be answered? Have you ever had a moment where you've prayed for something and you said, I just don't know if I got an answer? Me too. So sometimes prayer can be a wonderful thing and other times we can feel disappointed. We could do a whole message or a whole sermon series on unanswered prayer. So, Rob, I'm leaving that one with you. We've got a full sermon series on unanswered prayer to happen. But I do want to touch on it briefly this morning as we talk about the topic of prayer. I believe the Bible is often more honest about unanswered prayer than the church can be. There are moments where Jesus himself experienced unanswered prayer and disappointments in prayer. On one occasion, Jesus had to pray twice for a blind man to be healed. It didn't work the first time fully. And on another occasion, Jesus pleaded with his father not to go to the cross and die. While on the cross, Jesus cried out in abandonment and cried, Father, where have you gone? He felt alone. And there is still one of Jesus' prayers that is unanswered to today. Did you know that? There's still one of Jesus' prayers that yet has not been answered. In John 17, Jesus prayed that we, you and I, the church, would be completely united. That was his prayer. But clearly and tragically, we remain bitterly divided. Isn't it an incredibly sobering thought that Jesus today sits at the right hand of the Father in full glory and splendor and power, but still carrying the pain of unanswered prayer? We have a Savior who relates not simply to praying with us, but our unanswered prayers too. He gets it. In my life, I've had some really hard moments where I felt like God did not hear me or I felt that my prayers were useless or I, was I even praying for the right thing? And I think most unanswered prayers can be attributed to three things. And I'm, I'm going to just briefly talk to them, but there's way more to this. I want to encourage you, um, if you want to read more, um, Pete Gregg's um, book on prayer, A Simple Guide for Normal People, it's really helpful to unpack more of this stuff. But the three things are this, God's world God's war, and God's will. And what I mean by God's world, it's the, it's the obvious one. That's the one that if I was to pray that the Heat were going to win the NBA finals, but Rob was to pray that Lakers were going to win, who does God choose? Evidently Rob, because Lakers won. Um, but who does God actually choose whose prayer gets answered? You see it all the time in sports where, like, the captains line up each other, and then they're like, one guy's praying that he's going to win, the other guy's praying that he's going to win. And then you see it in other places where someone's going to, like, I'm going to win, you're going to And it's like, who does God choose? Like, like, 
How does God choose? And I think sometimes we like to treat God like a genie or a cosmic slot machine, and we just throw in our prayer requests in the hope that we could get a can of Coke, a sporting victory, a new car. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes we do those things when we pray. And I think actually God is completely relaxed about who wins the basketball game. <laughs> and so when you're praying, ask yourself the question, am I treating God like a slot machine? It's a good question to ask yourself. Secondly is God's war. Sometimes our prayers are not answered in the way we want because there is an active enemy at work attacking and opposing the work of God. And we live in the battle zone. That's why Jesus instructs us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not the other way around. So when a child is trafficked or a woman is raped, this is not the will of God. There is evil at work. And the Bible describes them as powers and principalities. Sometimes the talk of Satan or demons, fallen angels, apocalyptic battles between cosmic forces of light and darkness will sound ridiculous to some and will sound like a great plot of a Marvel movie to others. But in Canada, we have, for the most part, replaced biblical cosmology with humanistic physiology, sociology, and anthropology. And every bad thing, every sin is attributed to some sort of societal or clinical cause. But even in our supposed sophistication, we remain aware that there is evil in our world. Almost every day there are stories in the news, on Twitter, on Instagram, where people are being killed because of the color of their skin. There's animal torture. There's bombs being dropped on civilians in war-torn countries. And away from the headlines and the stories, we remain aware that we have the shocking capacity to hurt to heal, uh, so to hurt and to hate and to use and abuse others. Pastor and theologian N.T. Wright says this, when human beings worship that which is not God, they give authority to forces of destruction and malevolence, and those forces gain power. And I think some of us can get stuck there. We get stuck in that place of going, oh, there's an enemy, so then therefore I am powerless. Or, or there is an enemy at work against what God is doing, and so therefore what can I do about it? Have you ever seen the moment at the dog park, when you see the tiny dog go after the big dog? You know what I'm talking about? When there's like a really tiny, annoying, yappy dog, and it just starts barking at like a Great Dane. And you're like, stupid dog, what are you doing? And this little dog just goes, at, goes and goes and goes. And then you have this moment where you're like, the big dog just lies down and rolls over. And you're like, what are you doing? It's a tiny dog. Like, why are you, like, bowing to this tiny dog? You, are, you could eat this dog. Like, you are that big. Your face is bigger than its whole body. What are you doing? And I think sometimes, as Christians, we have the same thing in prayer. Sometimes we can get really timid and terrified in dealing with the enemy. Like the large dog, Christians can often submit and roll over to the bark and the growl of Satan without realizing who they are, who we are in Christ, how highly favored we are how powerful we are, how much authority we actually have. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says this, and this is the message translation. He says this to the church. He says, God raised him, so Jesus, from death and set him on a throne in heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. And then he says something that is utterly astounding and crazy at the same time. He says this, and those who are in Christ, a term he uses 164 times, those who are in Christ are right up with Jesus as God picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, Ephesians 2.6. Isn't that mind-blowing? Isn't that mind-blowing that you and I, 
if you follow Jesus, you are in Christ, you have been seated with Christ, which means when we pray, we don't just plead for mercy in the midst of mass, but rather we exercise authority from above as those seated with Christ. Like the large dog who rolls over to the tiny dog, we don't have to roll over helplessly and submit to Satan's schemes because we are sons and daughters of the king, commissioned to rule and reign by his side. In prayer, we are learning to rule and reign with Jesus. But we live in the reality of the battle zone. And sometimes we experience pain and hurt. And sometimes that impacts our prayers. So we've got God's world, God's war, and lastly, God's will. Some prayers go unanswered because we maybe treat God like a genie. (laughs) Some prayers go answered because they are opposed by evil. But others go unanswered because they may be opposed by God himself. Sometimes our prayers can be opposed to by God himself. Jesus promised that answered prayers align with the will and the purposes of God. And sometimes we don't align with his will and his purpose. Um, I maybe shared the story before when I was here. Uh, but a number of years ago, my grandma was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Um, and so I was living in England at the time and, and my family were up in Scotland. And I got a phone call from my dad saying that she'd basically been given uh, three months to live. Uh, and so uh, we were all devastated by the news, and it was um, extremely hard. And, and so we uh, started praying for healing. Uh, we believe that God heals, and so we started praying that, that, that Grandma would be healed, that the cancer would be removed, the cancer would be gone, and she'd be healed. Um, and my mom, who has every morning has just gets up and spends quality time with her father in her thin place, just sits on the chair, reads her Bible, and prays. She was reading her Bible. She was praying, and she just didn't feel comfortable with the reality of praying for healing, which seems strange because we pray for healing for lots of things. Now, she's reading her Bible. She reads the story of Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah um, was going through a moment in his life where he was about to die, very, very sick, and Hezekiah asked for more time from the Lord and was given 15 extra years. And so the Lord granted Hezekiah 15 years more in his life. And so as my mom's praying and going through her Bible and spending time with Jesus, she has this moment where she senses the Spirit say, you shouldn't be praying for healing, you should be praying for more time. And so she starts to share with us and and, and the family and says, hey, I've been spending time with God and I think we're praying for the wrong thing. Healing's not bad, but I just don't think it's what is in God's will and His purposes. So I think we should start praying for more time. And so as One by one, we started to realize we thought our mom was right. Uh, We all started praying for more time, more time for grandma. She was given three months to live, and she lived 15 months. Take it as you want, but she's reading in the book of Hezekiah, who gets given 15 more years, and says, I think God's saying more time, and she got given 15 months. I love this quote from D.L. Moody. He says this, when I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. So how do we know the will and the purposes of God? How do we pray for the right things and see change happen? Well, it's constantly practicing the habit of inwardly gazing upon God. So pause, rejoice, ask, what is why? What do we got why? What do you think why is? Everyone's like, I got it wrong every time. I don't want to answer anymore. Why is yield? Someone's like, I knew that. I should have said. I would have got a prize. 
No, this is not youth ministry. Um, the final step in the dance of prayer is surrender. It's yielding to God and seeking his forgiveness and renewal. In asking, Jesus says, ask also for forgiveness. Verse 14, which we didn't read, Jesus says this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is big on forgiveness. Yielding means confessing and being reconciled back to God. In yielding, we're saying to God, you're in control, not me. I surrender all that I am to you. And the enemy knows that without surrender, we will never experience the freedom of God that he offers. Without surrender, we'll remain spiritually malnourished, ill and confused. Without surrender, our foxholes become prisons of the enemy's making. Our lack of full surrender limits God's ability to both work in our lives and through our lives. God's call to surrender is not an intimidating, angry bark from a yappy dog. His call is expressed beautifully through the example of his son, Jesus. And it's captured so well in Philippians 2. It says this, Jesus, who in being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He exalted, or he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, given the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In surrender, we are exalted. It's a beautiful irony. In surrender, we are exalted. We are called to yield, to yield to God. So pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And I think this model of prayer, it makes it a bit easier sometimes if we're struggling to pray, if we're struggling to, to, to actually spend some time in prayer. But I think it also helps us align with God's will and purposes. It draws us closer to him and in turn grows us into the people that God is calling us to be. So if you want to pray powerful, bold, life-changing prayers, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And so my prayer for myself and for you too is that we would have the same prayer that A.W. Tozer had, that we would constantly practice the habit of inwardly gazing on God so that the secret communion with you and the Father, it grows deeply that when you pray, things change, mountains move, life's transformed, and the others are drawn deep into places of intimacy with God. And for some of you this morning, maybe this is a start. It's a start for this. For some of you, you've been doing this for many, many years. And you'll only ever know the significant and importance of prayer when you actually do it. I can tell you it's great, but you'll not find out until you do it yourself. I want to end this morning just with a final challenge. It was a challenge that was told to me when I was younger. And I think it's good as we think of prayer and how we pray and the attitude that we pray. Let me ask you this question. If God answered yes to your last 10, uh, 10 prayers, how many people would now know and love Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness, and we take a moment just to pause and reflect. Help us listen to your voice better. Help us hear you clearly. 
And this morning, God, we, uh, we rejoice. We, we say you are holy, you are good. You are a God who is all loving and has plans that are phenomenal and great. And you've done so much and you continue to do so much in our lives. You are a God who is set apart. You are above all things. We praise you for your goodness, your holiness. We ask that it won't scare us, but will draw us toward you as we give you the permission to expose our hearts. This morning we, we ask. We ask for the things of our needs as Jesus reminds us. We can pray for those things. So this morning, God, we give up our needs to you. I don't know what in this room or online are experiencing, but God, you do. And so that of which we need, we, we ask. And we pray, God, your kingdom come. Pray that your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that your rule and your reign will be here. God, there is so much going on. Um, there's confusion. There's division. There is hurt. There is pain. And God, we need you. We pray your kingdom will come. And God, we yield. We confess. We confess that we um, like to drift. <laughs> we, we, we move away from you. We, we, we drift away from you. And we, we start following after the earthly affairs, as Tozer said. But God, would we come back to gazing on your presence. Being in your company. Would you forgive us our sins afresh? And God, would we know that today that we stand as people forgiven, loved, cherished. And that God, you love when we pray. You love when we pray. And so we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.